I've got a question for you tonight. Are you bored with your job? Well, do you have a job? Do you hate your job? Do you despise Monday mornings and have a cringe in your heart when it's time to go to work? Then this message is for you. It's amazing. I look at Facebook on Monday and it's like, you know, the whole thing, like, you know, you've got a case of the Mondays or whatever. Have you ever, have you come to a place with your work that you could take it or leave it? You don't hate your work, but it's not exciting to you anymore. Then this message is for you. I actually found this on the internet. It's funny how like when you're preparing for a message and a little piece of information will come across uh, your desk or the, on the computer or whatever. And I just, this is amazing because I just saw this a couple days ago and I said, oh, well, I got to look at that for the, uh, the message. When you have an I hate my job day, think about this. Stop at your pharmacy, go to the thermometer section and purchase a rectal thermometer <laughs> made by Johnson & Johnson. Be sure you get this brand. And when you get home, lock your doors, draw the curtains, and disconnect the phone so you will not be disturbed. Change into comfortable clothing and sit in your favorite chair. Open the package and remove the thermometer. Then carefully place it on the table or surface so that it will not become chipped or broken. Now the fun begins. Take out the literature from the box and read it carefully. You will notice that in small print there is a statement. Every rectal thermometer made by Johnson & Johnson is personally tested and then sanitized. <laughs> now close your eyes and repeat out loud five times. I am so glad I don't work in the thermometer control, quality control department at Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> uh, do you love your job? Do you... Do you <laughs> Do, do you utilize your skills and talents? Do you look forward to your work and being around your coworkers and or your subordinates? Then this message is for you. This message is for everyone who works. And that would be pretty, would pretty much include everyone. You either work for someone or you're self-employed. And if you're not actually gainfully employed, maybe you are retired or whatever, well, you've been a mom or a dad, you're a granddad, you're a grandmom, or you're just there to take control of the house at this point and make sure all those things are taken care of. So the fact of the matter is that according to recent studies, there is a significant percentage of Americans who do not like their jobs. There are those who are unhappy with their jobs for a number of reasons. Maybe you just don't like what you're doing. Maybe you feel overqualified for the position. Maybe you feel underappreciated or underpaid. Whatever your case, whether you can't stand your job or you love your job, God has laid out in his word guidelines for us as far as our work is concerned. God gives us specific principles that should dominate how we think about work, our work and our calling as believers in Christ. And if we follow these guidelines for work, we will have joy in our work. And I believe that's what God wants us to have. He wants to, us to have joy in our work. We will have the right attitudes and the right perspective. And that's what God wants in our lives. We'll keep ourselves out of trouble and we'll receive a reward from the Lord as well. And we'll learn about that tonight. So what are the guidelines for work? Here in, in Philippians 6, 
Paul is kind of laying out in the second half of the book of Ephesians, he's laying out how we should respond to the grace of God that has been given to us and everything that he has, been, has done in our lives, all the things that he did. And then there's this response that comes from the believer. There's these things that we're to do. Last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the family and parenting and all that. And tonight we're talking about work. So what are the guidelines for uh, work as far as God's concerned. Well, let's take a look at it. The first principle is this, worship while you work. Worship while you work. You almost thought I said whistle while you work. No, it's actually, no, they had it wrong. It's actually worship while you work. Let's pick it up, verse 5 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. It says this, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The first thing that you need to understand when it comes to work is that it is worship unto God. Everything really becomes worship to the Lord. Once you give your heart and your life to the Lord and he truly becomes your Lord and Savior, your master, you, everything that you, you do should be worship to him. We think of coming in and gathering together as saints and we have a little 20, 30 minutes of songs and everything and that's like the worship. No, 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 no. That's just the celebration. That's really just the celebration. Everything that we do is worship to God because we've put, it, Paul said to the Ephesians, uh, Romans, he said, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, put your whole self on the, on the altar for God, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So that means that everything that you do in the body for the glory of God, it should be the wor- worship for God. So I, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Paul said another place, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you can't do it for the glory of God, stay out of it. Get away from it because everything that we do needs to be worshiped because we've given our life as a sacrifice to the Lord. So one of the things that you have to realize as a Christian, um, the world wants to tell you that um, there's a division in, in, in everything, that there's the sacred and then there's the secular. There's the sacred and the secular, and they want to divide up the world for us into these two categories. And the, the reality is for the Christian, everything is sacred. Amen? Everything in your life, every minute, every second is sacred. When you're with your family, when you're making scrambled eggs, when you're cleaning the toilet, it's, sa- it's sacred because we're doing it for the glory of God and we're taking care of the things that God has entrusted with us. Amen? And there's, there's something glorious about that. There's something glorious about that fact that everything for us as believers is sacred because we're doing it as unto the Lord. We've been made alive in Christ and our whole life is spiritual at this point. Amen? Therefore, your work is spiritual. Your work is spiritual. And... You thought you had a secular job, (laughs) right? You thought you had secular employment. No, if you're a Christian, you are employed in a sacred work for the Lord. Amen? As a believer, I got it up on the screen this point. As a believer, your work is worship to the Lord. As a believer, your work is worship to the Lord. Now, 
Paul gives specific ways that we can worship while we work. Uh, and, and he gives us these guidelines, and we're going to take a look at this here in this first point, worship while you work, verses 5 and 6. The first point that Paul says is, he says, bond servants, obey your masters. Now, the first thing we got to clarify a little bit about this whole language of bond servants and masters and all that. And basically, um, the, the, the interpretation, the, the, the context of this would, would interpret into a modern context of employers and, co- and uh, uh, employees. And so um, bond servants and um, uh, masters. One of the things you will notice, and just this is a side point, one of the um, objections to Christianity is actually that the Old Testament uh, approves of slavery, right? And you'll hear this, right? And um, the, the law actually does have a principle about that, particular, particularly, but it is the equivalent today of being employed, that you would actually sell yourself into servitude to someone else for an amount of money, and then you could buy your way out of that. And it's very similar to the concept of, uh, of work and being a, an employer and a master in, in today's society. And so the people need to understand a little bit of the context and a little bit of the time frame that the Bible was written in, and they, they like to pick on that particular point, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. But anyways, bond servants, masters, to the current context, employees obey your employers. O- employees obey your employers. You are to obey your boss at work. Why? Because he's your master according to the flesh. This is what Paul is saying. He's your master according to the flesh. If you don't like what your boss is asking you to do, then you have two options. You can obey your boss or you can resign your position, right? You basically have to, and that may be the option that you have to do because it may come to that point where your boss does ask you to do something that you're not comfortable doing, or you know, it's, it's, it's crossing a line with you or whatever. And, or maybe you know, there's been people that have been saved, that have been employed in, in, in positions that they no longer can hold those positions. I know guys that are now pastors that used to be blackjack dealers in Las Vegas, and they're now pastors of churches. They could no longer be a blackjack dealer at, at, at one of the casinos in, in uh, Las Vegas, and they had, to, they had to turn in their resignation, and there's, there's some, some things like that. So you have those two options. You can obey your boss, or you can resign. Uh, remember, it's a free country, amen? Well, well it's, it's, at least still it is uh, for the time being. You work there by your own choice, and so if you choose to work there, then you must obey your employer. So employees obey your employers. The second thing that Paul would have us to do uh, through the Spirit here, he says, have respect and reverence for our boss. Look at that, verse 5. He says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, having a, an awe and a respect for them. The, the, it's, it's kind of like the fear of the Lord, having, having a fear, having a, that place in your life where, you know, hey, this is my boss. I need to take this serious. I need to have that place. I think 
too often what happens is we, and I'll, I'll admit it's very easy to get into a very cynical situation with your work and with your boss and, and just whatever. And I just think that the Lord would have us to guard our hearts against that because we end up going down a road that um, in our speech and our heart and all these things that the Lord would not have for us. And so we need to have that fear and trembling. And if we can't, again, we have that option of going to work for somewhere else. Amen. So have a respect and reverence for your boss. The, the New King James uses the words fear and trembling. What you re, are required to do is respect their position over you. And you are to treat them with that kind of respect. Um, so we, we need to do that. We need to respect. Um, respect is an attitude that God wants us to have on the job. In fact, we, respect is really um, an attribute that God wants us to have across the board. Amen. We need to respect those whom we're supposed to respect. And, um, and we need to do that. We need to do that as Christians. And God is working on the rough edges, right? He's working on our rough edges and we've all got them. And praise the Lord. Uh, he promised to continue the work until it's complete. And so he's working, he's smoothing, he's sanding off the edges of all of us. And one of those things is um, areas is where we can um, lose a little respect for in this area, that area, but God wants us to have that general respect. Next, he says, uh, you need to work with sincerity of heart. Look at it there in, uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse five, he says, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Work with sincerity of heart. The King James uses the, the phrase singleness of heart. Sincerity of heart singleness of heart. The word there for singleness or sincerity, it means this, singleness, simplicity, sincerity, mental honesty, the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy, not self-seeking, openness of heart, manifesting itself by generosity. Wow. Singleness of heart, sincerity, sincere in our hearts, and this is how we're to do our work. Our work can be worship because we should be doing it with a sincerity and a singleness of heart in the same way that we would serve the Lord. Just as you can't serve, a, you can't serve the Lord with a divided heart. In fact, there's a psalm about that. Um, I can't remember which one. Maybe you know, and we can Google it or you know, go on Bible Gateway and find it. But I know Twyla Parrish used to have a song written on that psalm, and it says, Give me an undivided heart that I may serve you. And that's how we can serve God with an undivided heart. And we really need that undivided heart to do the things in our lives that God wants us to do because it's all service to him. Amen. So he's called us for, uh, to, to have a singleness of heart, a sincerity of heart, to worship him. Then we also need that on the job as well. Uh, just to worship him. Now, our work... Uh, can be worship if we work with consistency. We need a singleness of heart, a sincerity of heart, but we also need consistency. We need to be consistent in our work. And that means that we um, are doing the same quality of work if someone is watching us or if no one is watching us. We, we don't just do good work while our manager or our boss is watching or somebody is overlooking. And this is what he says. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants doing the will of God from the heart. We don't just do it for 
uh, just service in that way to, to please them. Oh, our boss is around. We're doing a good job. We're getting the job done. We're, 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 we're crossing all the, the T's and dotting all of our I's and stuff. Why? Because the boss is around or the, you know, the boss is coming in town. Now, I worked for over, we lived in, over in Orlando for 17 years, and um, we planted a church over there, as you, many of you know, and we started the church, we pastored it for 13 years. In the early part of the church, when I was um, not full-time with the church, I actually had a job, and I worked for Marriott Hotels, and I worked for the Orlando World Center Marriott. Yeah, this is the place that I had to go to work every day for eight years, and it, was, it, 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 it wasn't too shabby to pull up to this place, even though I had to pull up at this place at five o'clock in the morning most days because I worked for the golf course. You see a little hole right there? Yeah. And so I had to get out there and get things ready um, for the individual golfers. It was a magnificent place. Um, if you ever want to go to Orlando and stay at a nice place, I, I recommend it. But anyways, when I first started working for Marriott, I read, the, he used to put a book, if you ever st have stayed in a Marriott hotel, I don't know if he still does this, but he used to put, they used to have the little Marriott book, it actually wasn't little, it was pretty thick, and it told the Marriott story of how the Marriott's came out from Utah and they settled in Washington, D.C., and they opened up a root beer stand, and then they bought a hotel across the river in... Arlington right there, Keybridge, you know, and, um, and from there, today they have over 4,000 hotels. When I was working there, they had like 2,000. As a matter of fact, I remember when they hit 2,000, it was a big deal. But anyways, I read the book when I first started working for Marriott, and I, it was funny because I got to the, and I actually got to meet Bill Marriott. Uh, one day and shake his hand and I, I, I was not able to get a picture of that. I wish I, I wish I had a picture of a little um, I think it was it was actually before cell phones. So I didn't even have a, like a, a camera in my phone. So anyways, um, I read the book, the Marriott book, and I remember one of the fun, the things that struck me as funny is um, he would go out um, uh, month to month and visit, like, you know, he'd go into a city and he would visit, like, various Marriott properties in that particular city. And he said in the book that he would always take in his suitcase a little tiny can of paint thinner because he would inevitably get paint on his suit because the, 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 the hotel knew that Bill Marriott was coming to visit and they would scurry through the hotel and try to get it looking how it should have been looking already, right? And so he knew that when he went to visit those hotels, he knew he was gonna get paint on his suit. And when I read that, I thought, man, that's classic. And he was up, he, he, he knew the deal. But we need to, to not be um, men, men pleasers. We need to be God pleasers first and do our work as unto the Lord and, and so that he... Um, will receive the glory and the praise. Amen. Paul says that um, when, when we're, not, we're not being consistent in our work, that we're being a man pleaser and we're worshiping God. And we want to be God pleasers. So we need to be consistent in our work. And then he closes uh, the last little thing in those verses. In order to worship while you're, you work, you need to work from the heart. You need to work from the heart. Look at that. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. If you're going to do anything right, you have to do it from the heart. And um, if, you, if you've ever been around, you know, uh, you know this, you've worked. You know, when you show up and people, you know, their heart's just not in it. And, and, it, and if people's hearts aren't in it, I mean, it can be a miserable place. But I remember... Um, even my first job, and I was one of those, um, 
guys that like, you know, started off at McDonald's, amen, you know, flipping burgers and making fries. And then I graduated to going in early and making biscuits. And I was the biscuit king, you know, on Saturday mornings at, at the Centerville McDonald's. And I would just go in there at like four o'clock in the morning and just be back in the back corner. And I made biscuits for the entire city of Centerville, Virginia. And it was, it was incredible. And um, I remember just going in there and, and um, the way that I had a friend who was Vietnamese and this guy was like a worker and his work ethic just rubbed out off on everybody and he turned everything into a contest. And so you just, I mean, it was like fun. We would get in there and we would have it like all going and we had to have like, you know, all these trays of biscuits. I mean, it was fantastic, you know, and I remember like then we'd switch over from breakfast to lunch and we'd have, you know, sausage over here and then we'd have like you know, just full grills of, you know, meat and stuff and Big Macs and everything. And I mean, it was fun. But, you know, you've been in those places where, you know, people aren't just doing the work from their heart. And it, it just, be, it can become a, a, a real drag real quick. So the, the more that you can do it from your heart, the better, the better off you'll be and just be pleasing to the Lord. Well, let's move on. That was the first point, worship while you work. The second point tonight is this, work with enthusiasm. Work with enthusiasm. It kind of goes on that point of work, uh, uh, working from the heart. But let's pick it up, verse 7. It says this, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. The second of God's guidelines for work is that we should work with enthusiasm. Look at that. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. With good will, doing service. With good will, doing service as to the Lord. And so we need, to, we need to be doing our work enthusiastically. And this is a reminder for all of us, including me. Sometimes we don't do our work enthusiastically, but we need to do it enthusiastically. Paul says that we should do our work, our service with goodwill. Now, the new revised standard. Now, where did you get this um, idea of doing it enthusiastically? It says goodwill, Charles. It says do it with goodwill. Where did you get this? Why are you changing it to enthusiastic? The new revised standard version reads this way. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women. That's the new revised standard version. Render service with enthusiasm. We are to do enth enthusiastically do what's asked of us. Now listen, listen to that. This is great. You're going to love this. The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek. Everything comes from the Greek. If you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, you know that everything <laughs> comes from the Greek. Even the word kimono, which is actually Japanese. But you have to read, look at the movie to figure that out. But anyways, the, the word enthusiasm comes, it breaks down like this. It's en-theos. It's en-theos, and it actually is full of God. So to be enthusiastic is to actually be filled or full of God. And so if anybody should be able to do anything on this planet with enthusiasm, it should be Christians. Why? Because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we should be the ones that could do things enthusiastically for the Lord and for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Theos equals full of God. There you have it on the screen. 
one of the commentaries that I was reading on this, he had this uh, illustration, and I don't know who this is, but I'll just read you the illustration. It's a great illustration. He said, Eugene Ormandy, a conductor of the Philadelphia Philharmonic, dislocated his right shoulder because he conducted with such enthusiasm we know so little of this kind of service, we don't separate our shoulders, we barely wrinkle our ties. That's why we don't ascend to the level God would have us enjoy in so many arenas. Can you imagine? You see these guys just, you know, directing, a, a conduct, you know, conducting an orchestra and doing, and you've seen these guys, right? And they are into it. And I'm like, you know, you're looking at them like, you know, what, what, you know, he definitely had his Wheaties this morning, you know. But no, he just was enthusiastic for that, so much so that he just tore his shoulder to shreds. And my, my mom is, um, you, know, you know, she's going on on the front row there because she actually has torn her shoulder and, and, and just enthusiastically doing her work. So um, let, me, let, me just, let me just give you a biblical example. Here's a biblical example, and this is so great. You remember David. David, David was... The, the young son of Jesse, and he was this guy who, um, remember when uh, the prophet went out to uh, uh, anoint the next king and everything, and he w went through all of Jesse's sons, and, and no, 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 finally got, is there anybody else? Yeah, we, you know, he's got a little brother out, and you know, kept, you know, keeping the sheep, he's a shepherd boy, we'll call him in here. Sure enough, it was him. Well, he went from the shepherd field to the battlefield. And he became a warrior, and he was like no other. In fact, there was a chant that went through all of Israel uh, that, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands, because he was just a warrior. He would, there's um, passages of scripture where he just does incredible, amazing things um, for the Lord. Well, David um, was, was, was nearing uh, his, his, uh, the end, and um, he, the men around him developed that same mentality. In fact, he had, David had uh, a group of mount, around him called David's Mighty Men. Remember this, you know, when you read 1 Second Samuel? David's Mighty Men. And there were actually three of them that are mentioned in 2 Samuel 23. And this is where I derived this, this account. Uh, there was men around him in, in the cave at, at Adullam one day, and David said, and he's just lying there, and, and David's a little older at this point, he's just lying there, he's kind of near, near in the end, and he says, I would give anything for a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. You know, that was his hometown. I would give anything for a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. Adino, Eleazar, and Shema. They left out of that cave and they went through back behind enemy lines to Bethlehem and they went to the well of Bethlehem and they got a skin of water and brought it back to David. David's mighty men. You want to talk about just with enthusiasm, doing the things. Now, if you read the whole story, David actually pours the water out 
I mean, can you believe that? They go all the way. You know, he pours it out as like an offering to the Lord. He says, I can't even drink this because of the, 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 you know, the sacrifice that these guys made. And they came back and they were bloodied. And, all, you know, it, it wasn't like a walk in the park, you know, doing this. In fact, it says they went through the valley of the Rephaim, the giants um, that were still, that, that, that they hadn't conquered. So we got to work with enthusiasm in our life and have that heart. Have that heart of David's mighty men, um, doing things with, with, with good cheer, with enthusiasm, singleness of heart, respect. You know, you have to ask yourself a question. Are you the type of guy that, or girl, when you walk into the office or you walk into the place, are you the, are you the one that lights it up, lights up the room? Are you the one that says, Everyone says, oh, great, here she comes. Or, oh, no, here he comes. You know, be that one that I think that's, the, that's what we're called to do. Be that one that sets that example. Amen. When we work with enthusiasm, we bring a strong witness into the workplace. Bring a strong witness. Your work is an opportunity for you to be a witness for the Lord. What kind of witness are you going to be? Be honest in your work. Be a witness. At my job, actually, when I worked for Marriott, in different places, this was, this was always a temptation. There was always the, the various positions and stuff. There was always the temptation. You'd see guys going to lunch and not clocking out for lunch, right? And there was that temptation to just go, oh, yeah, I'll just go along with the guys. I'm not going to clock out for lunch because I need that extra. They owe me, right? And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, who are you putting your trust in? Are you putting your trust in God? Or are you going to, um, you know, be dishonest at work in the workplace and do something like that? And God, God wants us to be the type of people that are honest. And here's the thing. You think you're taking a shortcut and you're benefiting yourself in some way. And in the end, what you're doing is you're, you're shortcutting your own self. You're, sh- you're shortcutting your own self. I mean, if God is your God and he's the God of this universe, don't you know that he can take care of you? Don't you know that he knows everything that's going on in your life and every need that you have? And he, like we learned last week, he, he made a septillion stars and named them all. And don't you know that he can take care of you? And shortcutting like that or being dishonest in some, some way is you're shortcutting yourself in two ways. You're shortcutting yourself, I believe, on this side of eternity and on the other side. Because this passage says that we're going to receive a reward from the Lord. Look at that. Verse 8, knowing whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Whether he is a slave or free, whether he is an employer or an employee, when you do what's right, when you have that honesty and that conviction, when you do your work, you're going to receive a reward. You have your paycheck, and that's your paycheck where God is providing for you here. And always remember, and my dad always taught me, you have a job, but God is your provider. Amen? God is your provider. And not only on this side of eternity, but there's a reward on the other side. Amen? And we've got to keep that. Uh, we've got to keep that in our minds and in our, in our memory uh, because it's so important. One last point. One last point is work with wisdom. Work with wisdom. Let's take a look at it. Verse 9. 
It says this, And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. The third major point is that we've got to work with wisdom. Our work should be done with wisdom. God wants us to work with wisdom and the wisdom of the Lord. A few weeks ago we talked about wisdom. There's man's wisdom and then there's God's wisdom, right? And, and God's wisdom sometimes goes in stark contrast with men's wisdom. And God wants us to have the wisdom of the Lord. There, mu there, must be, there may be something that we want to do at work, but it, should, it would not be wise. And we need to have that wisdom of the Lord. We need to have that wisdom of the Lord. And, you know, and when you see somebody operate with a little wisdom of the Lord, you know, point it out to them. Say, you know what, that's good. That's really good. That's wisdom there. Thank you for doing that like that. You know, and, and just encourage, be an encourager of people who were using the wisdom of the Lord. We need to encourage one another when we see each other, you know, using godly wisdom. And we may be, we may be tempted to treat um, someone, we may be a manager or like a, 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 an owner or something, and we may um, be tempted to, you know, to cheat someone or treat someone in some way that, that is not uh, wise. It's not the wisdom of the Lord. We may think it may benefit the company or may, may benefit or whatever, but we've got to use the wisdom of the Lord. Now, Paul here, he gives clear instruction to employers, the bondservants, the masters, if you will. And employers are to do the same for employees, operating in the wisdom of the Lord. If you're, a, if you're an employer, then you need to operate in the wisdom of the Lord. And you would, there's, there is no, there certainly is employers out there who would love to have employees who were operating in the principles that I just suggest, you know, that Paul has outlined for us. Amen? I mean, there are employees that would love to get their hands on, uh, you know, these type of employees. It is amazing when you go into, you know, at various jobs today and the security measures that businesses have to employ for, um, to prevent internal theft. It is just mind-boggling the type of measures that companies have to, to go through um, because the employees are stealing from the company. And um, it's, it's incredible. So we need to work with wisdom. Um, if you're an employer, we need to be treating our employees right. It, on the other side, treating everybody right. Um, if you look at it there, he says, um, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality in him. A couple points here. You know, we need to, there's a principle that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's sometimes confused. Um, it's actually, we, it's well known. It's called, the, we call it the golden rule. And it's found in Matthew 7, verse 12. And I'm going to read it for you um, exactly so that you get this, because you need a refresher course on this every now and then for the exact wording of the golden rule, because it gets quoted in different ways. But this is what Jesus said. He said, do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, some will bring up that the golden rule is something that all um, great teachers had and all religions and all this. And you will find something 
that is, seems like it's the golden rule, but it's not. It's the reverse of this. It's, it's the negative. It's don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. And this is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, just go around and play it safe so that you don't do anything to anybody else that you wouldn't want them to do it to you. No, Jesus said it in the positive, and he's distinctly on his own ground here where he says, do for others what you would like them to do to you or what you would have. So it's a positive assertion. It's a positive command. It's not defensive or negative. It's to do things for others and to be a blessing. Um, and, and we need to do that. I, I read, um, I, I'm definitely not, you know, for redistribution of wealth and all that. And I'm definitely for hard work and um, earning your paycheck and taking care of yourself. And those are all biblical principles, by the, by the way, New Testament. You know, there's actually, Paul told the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, he was, he was hardcore. You know, put that up on the presidential uh, debate. Um, you know, quote that, you know, as one of the questions and see how they do with that. But it is interesting to know that I read this this week. The 85 richest people in the world have more than the lowest 3.5 billion people. So 85 people on this planet have more than half of the world's population. And that's incredible. And so, yeah, I think some people could stand to do a little bit more. <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, giving a little bit more in terms of raises and honoring hard work and, and those things. And, and that's something that, that, that we can bring out. But let's, let's take a look at this. In Colossians, Ephesians um, is that letter that, Paul wrote to the, the church at Ephesus. He wrote another letter to Colossae, the church there. And there's some similar passages there. And one he has um, in Colossians chapter 4, he talks about work. And he says this to masters in verse 1. He says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so that is actually a corollary to what Paul is saying here to the masters. He's saying, look, do to others, do with them well. And knowing that you have a master in heaven, and he, is, he, he shows no partiality, there's no partiality in him. There's a God in heaven who is master of all, and he shows no favoritism. And so it doesn't matter if you're the lowest on the totem pole or you've worked your way up to the top of the corporation, or you're, the, or you're the richest guy in the world and you have all these companies and you're running all this. You have a master. You have a master in heaven. And God shows no partiality. And so we need to work wise in how we work knowing that God is in heaven and that he sees everything. And, you know, as Christians, one of the things that... Um, we, we have to realize, and this plays into the message tonight, but God does see. He is the God who sees. Amen? In the Old Testament, that's called Jehovah Jireh, right? And um, we used to sing a song called Jehovah Jireh, my, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, right? But actually, 
The, the idea is not so much in the provision, it's actually the God who sees and provides. He provides because he sees. And the context of that is actually where, um, in Genesis, where uh, Hagar and Ishmael are cast out of the home, and she uh, is there, and, um, and God talks to her and says, I'm, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm the, God who, I'm the God who sees. So, no matter what the situation is, God is the God who sees, he's looking at everything, and so we need to operate in wisdom across the board. Amen? So, work, work. Do it as unto the Lord. Work with enthusiasm. Amen? I think that's such a great point to end on. If there's anybody in this world that could do anything with enthusiasm, it should be a, it should be a believer in Jesus Christ.